Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. And on The Stack, we talk about a ton of books that are out this week. So let's get right into it, because we got lots to talk about this week. Yep. Kicking it off. Our with personal w- lives. Oh, the comics. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, I mean, there's a crossover there. I think about these as my children, to be honest. My 22-page yeah. children is what I call them. I think about them more than my children, I guess, technically. <laughs> uh, some days, like days like today, for sure. Well, one of their parents is gone this week, which is Pete, which is why I feel comfortable throwing this one right up at the top. Wolverine number 31 from Marvel, <laughs> written by Benjamin Percy, art by Juan Jose Rip. In this issue, Beast has died, Ooh. except not really. He came back at the end of the last issue after Wolverine was forced to kill him because Beast seemingly got rogue. This issue, we find out exactly why Beast has been up to what he's been up to. Things get amped up considerably as Beast takes his war to save all mutants uh, directly against uh, X-Force and the rest of the X-Men yeah. on Krakoa. So this is a wild, tense story that is only getting bigger as it goes. I'm loving it so far. What about you, Justin? It's a beast book. This is a, mm-hmm. not a Wolverine book. Wolverine is sort of side character. Wolverine has been like sort of an automaton for a lot of this. And uh, that's not a complaint. Uh, if you have a long lost beast buddy out there, get them this run because they will love this. Can Beast come back from this? He's a straight up villain. I think, uh, over the course of this arc. Well, this is the interesting thing, and uh, at least to me, and uh, this definitely gets into spoilers here, but a lot of what Beast is doing here feels more like... My first instinct was Mr. Sinister, because he's creating a lot of clothes, mm. but it's actually a lot more like Dark Beast, in a way. Like, yeah. it's not quite as far along that road, but... If you can get past, oh, I'm Beast, and I hang upside down, and I joke around with Wonder Man, and that's all I do... If you can get past that, you can actually see a line that they're drawing here between who Beast was and who potentially he could become in a darker alternate reality like Dark Beast. And this isn't exactly this halfway point. This is definitely way beyond that. But I do think that's an interesting thing to play with. So can he come back to it? To answer your question, it's X-Men. So yes. But Ah. – Hmm. Uh, well, because like Apocalypse is hanging out on their island. Mr. Sinister is hanging out on their island. Mr. Sinister in other comics right now has completely screwed up the continuity and tried to take over the X-Men. He's going to come back for that, I think. So the answer is yes. However, on the surface, it's definitely going to be a long road to bending any sort of bridges with Wolverine in particular. Yeah, um, and Wolverine, it feels like we're setting up for a big fight. I, I really love how this arc is has a long tail to it. Like, we're mm-hmm. really doing a lot, putting a lot of peace on the board, and slowly moving toward the inevitable claw-to-claw confrontation. Absolutely. And just last mention, as I say for every issue of this, there's nobody more perfect than Juan Jose Rip. 
to do yeah. the art here. It's bloody, it's gross, it's detailed. I love it. Let's yeah. move to another big one. No one, number one, from Image Comics, written by Kyle Higgins and Brian Bruccellato. Art by Geraldo Borges. Man, I really mangled those. Sorry, guys. That Borges is gorgeous. There you go. So this is another book in the massive verse universe that includes Radiant Black and other books. This is... Uh, Sort of like a multimedia property is, I guess, the best way to describe it, because you got this comic book that's obviously like the centerpiece of it that focuses on a different city in the Massiverse where vigilante murders have been happening for a couple of years. Ostensibly, somebody was caught. Now they're restarted again, and we're following two storylines. One, the family that was caught in the crosshairs of these murders and has suffered for it. And on the other side, the journalist who is investigating it, who is being pushed to create a serial-style podcast about it. The multimedia comes in in that they are actually releasing this podcast in the real world. And then there's a bunch of ancillary material in the background, uh, in the back of the book that fleshes it out. I thought this was really fascinating and (laughs) totally different from all the other massive verse books. How about you, Justin? First off, stay out of podcasts. All right, that's our lane. (laughs) We're not in here writing a companion comic book that we're releasing about how one of us is murdered. Yeah, and if some publisher publisher came to us and was like, hey, we want to publish a companion comic book to your podcast, we'd turn them down. (laughs) That's right, because we're making us think about this, and we have morals, sort of. Uh, (laughs) But about this comic book, uh, very fun. What Kyle Higgins is doing with the Massiverse is continuing to find just little nooks and crannies. It's like a great English muffin uh, to shove more comic book storytelling the way that we slather butter on our favorite little round English toast morning toast morning toast. I got to say, in terms of metaphors, you jammed a lot in there. Uh, thank you. I know my way around a cranny. Uh, but this one, I I also give them credit for like always finding outside the multimedia side of this, finding a new avenue to put it and to stay on that sort of cutting edge of what an interesting brand and property and uh, world character building world that we have here. And I'll also mention for anybody who hasn't been reading Radiant Black or Rogue Sun or any of those other books, you don't need to read them to just jump in here. If you're looking for an interesting vigilante crime story, you can just check this out, and that's fine. Eventually, down the road, it'll probably all tie together in this universe. But right now, this is just a good book, and you can just check it out. Yeah. No strings attached except for the podcast and the other um, ancillary material. Call us publishers. Superman Lost, <laughs> number one from DC Comics, written by Priest, art by Carlo Pagulian. This is not connected to the main Superman continuity. Instead, this is focusing on a story where Superman, the first half of the book is like, I guess, setting up who Lois Lane is and setting up who Superman is. Yeah, I've been wondering about her. She's always <laughs> hanging around Superman's like apartment and house. But there's a twist about halfway through the book where Superman shows up back in the apartment. He is staring off into the distance. Lois can't get him to focus. And she's like, what's going on? You just left. And he says, no, I've been gone for 20 years. And then we fill in the details of what happened, how it happened, and that we're going to get a lot more as this maxi series goes on. Given that I have been loving the Superman books, I was a little thrown to be reading something else in a different continuity, which I know is a weird criticism to throw out there. I don't know if it hit you the same way or if you've read comics before. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like I could deal with uh, a character showing up in another book with another agenda and similar outfit on. (laughs) 
you assume that every time Superman's in a book, he just runs from place to place. He's being like, hey, sorry. There was something that just threw me about it, just because it's not necessarily a black label book. It's not necessarily like a back in time book, as far as I can tell or anything. So I was expecting like, okay, we're going to tie in to what's going on in action comics and over in Superman. Nope. Expand your mind, bro, because this is a great read. Um, if Especially if you're someone who's been like, not into the Superman side of the DC universe because of all the stories that are going on and the continuity that, you know, he's has a large cast around him now. If you just want a straight up interesting Superman story, this is definitely worth the pickup. Great premise. The idea that we're going to get to see Superman explore the universe and be lost by himself, no doubt find a hatch and then a bunch of other characters and a smoke monster of some sort uh, over the course of this is really interesting. I just want to throw something out at you because there's an implication that something horrible happened to Superman over the course of 20 years. My theory, which I know is 100% definitely wrong because DC would never do this with Superman, but my thought just based on the way that they were phrasing things was that Superman cheated on Lois Lane while he was gone for 20 years. What do you think? I was thinking that too. Like if he yeah. had like a whole life and family outside of that, I agree. I don't think they would do that, especially as you said, this is not a black label. This is Cheating on your wife count is black label content. <laughs> For Superman, yes, I think it Yeah, does. I think so. But I, I do think this will be sort of a big, perhaps fantasy or sci-fi epic adventure where there might be some sort of flirting. Mm-hmm. Alex, flirt alert, flirt oh alert. Oh my God, that's my kryptonite. Hellcat number one from Marvel, written by Christopher Cantwell, art by Alex Linz. This is spinning off of the Hellcat Iron Man stuff that Christopher Cantwell has been doing and his new take on Hellcat. Not to keep saying I was thrown by books, but I'm a big fan of the Patsy Walker (laughs) Hellcat stuff that was... don't was that Ryan North as well wrote that? I could be totally wrong. I don't think so. I don't think so. But there's definitely been like these cuter, goofier takes on Passy Walker Hellcat that definitely is my jab and in my wheelhouse. So to get a deathly serious Hellcat book that's written like a prestige TV miniseries was not what I was expecting here. I think it's well done in terms of that, but just in terms of what I like about the character, it's going to take me a couple of issues to really sink into it, I think. Um, yes, Kate Leth was the writer on that. Kate Leth, thank uh, you. On Patsy Walker Hellcat. Uh, but this, I agree, this is very much like ready for TV uh, type thing. I love the relationship stuff we're getting into here. It is really built for uh, for that kind of storytelling. And it's fun. Patsy Walker's the kind of hero who, um, you know, she gets in fights. She's a mm-hmm. lot like um, the uh, uh, cat. What's his name? Wildcat from the DC universe. Uh, they similar look. They like to fight. They like to drink. They're similar. Yeah, this definitely is leading more into the hell part of Hellcat. There's a lot of supernatural stuff going on, some ghosts showing up and things like that. So, again, curious to check it out. I think it's very well done, but I, I need to see more at this point wow. to really get into it. It's funny you say that because I was like, oh, I love this from the jump. I was instantly mm-hmm. on board, and I really like the little zigs into the um, the fantastical that they do here. 
I just like my cute little cartoons. You know, that's what I want out of things. Yeah. Why don't we talk about two books at the same time, mainly because I read them in the wrong order. So I wanted to, ah, yeah. So I wanted to throw them out to everybody in the right order. Star Trek number five from IDW written by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing art by Roman Rosanas and Eric Tomeo. And then Star Trek defiant number one from IDW written by once again, Christopher Cantwell art by Angel Unzuneta Unzuda Zueta. I am doing a terrible job this episode. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's all right. Unzueta, I don't think maybe. I'm going to get invited back to host the Oscars, to be honest with you, the way I'm mangling all these names. But no, you did a great job. I don't, also, the host doesn't have to say all the names. We're the <laughs> only ones that do that. Oh, boy. In any case, read them in this order because Star Trek Defiant is spinning off of the end of Star Trek number five. Uh, spoiler here, but Star Trek, uh, this main Star Trek series has been like, we described it as like the Avengers Endgame of Star Trek, bringing together these all-stars. At the end of the issue, there's a big revelation for Worf that sets him off on his own mission with an entirely different set of all-stars, but in a yeah. much darker situation. But reading Star Trek Defiant, and I like both of these books, by the way, reading Star Trek Defiant, it was like... Well, I've left uh, left the ship that I was on in the main Star Trek book, and here's some big revelations. I was like, what? I missed an issue somewhere Twist. that I read back and read it. I was like, um, okay, I get it now. So, Well, and I, I know, but last, last in the recent uh, episodes when we've talked about this series, um, I've said Avengers, but really, my revelation here is this is the X-Menification of the Star Trek universe. Mm. And this is a perfect example of it. We have the main title, which is like sort of flagship, handpicked, like pick your favorite Star Trek characters there on the ship. And then Star Trek Defiant, it's your X-Force. It's mm-hmm. your characters with sharps. And these are the edgier <laughs> characters. The reveal at the end, I was like, of course, great. Yes, <laughs> I'm fully on board with this. It's a great like crossover book for people who are Star Trek fans who may not read comics, but are like, hey, do you want like a high-octane version? You want to take a nice tequila shot of your favorite Star Trek characters? Read these books. Yeah, and they're very nice compliments to each other as well. So, yeah. so far, I'm very excited about where this line is going. Pick up both of these books, read them in the right order. That's all I'd say. <laughs> Let's move on to one of my favorite books of the week, The Forged, number one from Image Comics, written by Greg Rucka, Eric Troutman, and Mike Henderson. Art by Mike Henderson. There's a lot of stuff going on in this book. But it is best described. Well, how is it best described? I felt like (laughs) it is is best described by another person, by somebody (laughs) else. No, if you like Dune, I think you're going to like this Mm. book. And I say that because it is following a bunch of like roided out, jacked up, all female soldiers who are on the ship, like very alien marine style dudes. And at the same time, there's a bunch of like colonial, like literally almost British colonial people who are also on the ship at the same time. There's a bunch of dark things going on with whatever is happening with these all powerful empress in the universe. And there's a big mystery involving this planet that they are orbiting around and why they are orbiting around it. This is not like Lazarus, another book from it Greg Rucka. But it feels like a amped up high octane version of it in a certain way. What do you think? Yeah, it's like John Wick meets Lazarus or something, mm-hmm. uh, something where our crank is the are the crank movies still in the zeitgeist? Can we reference everybody those? loves them? Everybody talks about crank and crank high voltage all the time. Wow. The great way to name check that uh, sequel. 
So th- this book, like Greg Rucka, uh, thoughtful. If you read Lazarus, um, the back matter is all about how the world is like messed up, a corporate, like true wide world views and incorporating that into this, that comic that is set slightly in the future. This is like much more large sci-fi storytelling. It, it feels a little bit Blade Runner-esque with the title being F- The Forged. It feels like it's a replicant situation potentially. And a lot of great, the mystery is really well sort of told spooled out for us in this and the art style really helps take make it different than Lazarus and show us that it is a little bit more of like let's fight we're gonna wreck shit there's a crash gonna be a big crash here like all that stuff it feels very comic booky in that way yeah Mike Henderson's art and in particular there's some pages that are just like these enormous two-page splashes that just take place over the course of the entire page that are awesome to look at. His characters are very distinct. I'll also mention this is definitely for adults. There's some sexual situations in here that happen that are pretty explicit. But this is like a hardcore, uh, cool dudes dude. I really got to think about this stuff. (laughs) What are you talking (laughs) about? I don't know, man. Cool dudes, dude. <laughs> uh, everybody who <laughs> originally was like, oh, what are they going to say about this book? This sounds interesting. I like Greg Garka is now like, nope. Cool dudes, dude, they said. Huh. Uh, not not interested in that. Thanks so much. Move on to the next one, guys. The excellent number one from Marvel, written by Peter Milligan, art by Michael Dock, all read. This is yet another reboot of Ecstatics, which was itself rebooted as um, the excellent. I, it, I think it was the excellent. What was the last series? Well, there was X Force, then right. Ecstatics. It spun out to Ecstatics, and then Excellent. This is this is the kickoff of season two of the Excellent. Okay, so basically we're getting these two different teams that spun out of Ecstatic slash X-Force when it was that thing, and they're both going for social media clout, one of them by crime, one of them not. As usual, there's a lot of weird stuff going on here. I'll tell you what, I'm going to throw out a criticism up front is I really like this team. It's always awesome to see Michael Allred art in particular, but I do feel like, and I felt like this with the last series as well, it's media criticism is Mm -hmm. nowhere near as strong as it was in the X-Force ecstatics days. I think that's fair. I think this book has become like, well, this book is about X-Men and social media. So I feel like they're a little bit pigeonholed here. I do think they found a way in this iteration to bring it back into comics, the use of Doctor Strange here, Mm -hmm. and the fact that it's about the social media is pulled back into they need uh, like fandom and being worshipped essentially to power this spell. They have to, the good team has to beat the bad team who are making a bad version of the spell. So it really like, I think they found a better way to bring it into comics and make it a little more useful rather than just like celebrities hanging out and them being selfish. This Mm -hmm. at least has some world breaking ramifications to it. So I consider that a step forward, but I will say, I think it's time for another metaphor. Like Mm -hmm. we can go somewhere else with this. Uh, Politics is a way you could, you could bring that into this super team. Uh, there, there are a number of ways you can go. It's still very fun and weird to read. There's so many great ideas that are thrown out here. But like I think we're kind of both bouncing around, the the 
commentary on our current world isn't as sharp, I think. And like you're saying, I think you're missing a little bit of they're talking about social media. They're like, we got to get all this clout. We got to get all these fans. But you're not really seeing the fans. You're not really seeing any of that stuff going on. You're just seeing these teams sort of clashing against each other. So we'll see. It's a smart team. I'm excited to follow it still. Well, the only thing I'd say is I don't know if it's less sharp. It's just they've done this. They've explored this. Sure. So if this is your first time reading this. Uh, like oh a super team that is about social media like i think you'll be like oh this is really exciting but having read all of the previous iterations it's like okay we can move to the next version of this i think fair enough multiversity harley screws up the dcu number one from dc comics written by frank thierry art by logan farber this is exactly what it sounds like or uh, the first part is not what it sounds like which is this is continuing frank thierry's run on harley it's bringing her back to coney island and all of those characters and working that in and setting it up and then of course using a time machine she screws up the dc universe in a very specific way that we kind of find out about and we'll also find out more about later uh, this is fun. I had a fun time. Yeah, it's a fun classic Harley, much more the the goofy cartoon Harley, just in, if you haven't seen the pages. But the art's really good. It really supports that. Frank Thierry loves this world. If you love Frank Thierry, you have this in your hands currently. <laughs> there you go. Next up, Art Brute, number four from Image Comics, written by W. Maxwell Prince, art by Martin Morazzo. This is, I believe, the last issue of this, unless... Dot, dot, for, dot, now. They want it for now. They want to continue it. And this is following a guy named Art Brute, who is fighting art crimes. It is... We keep using the word high-octane, but I keep thinking about it. But it's like definitely an amped-up, action-y version of Ice Cream Man over the course of four issues without too much of that darkness, though it gets pretty dark by the end of the issue here. I love this book. I love everything this team does, though. So... Yeah, we're definitely in the can for our we're art art fans. We're high society art motherfuckers. So you know you know we're in the tank for this one. But I will say it's a perfectly mapped uh version of like high art like that in that world on top of an action movie. Like if in Avengers Endgame they have to go through all the different movies and sort of fix everything so they can uh, defeat Thanos. In this they go through a bunch of different types of art and pr- particular pieces of art to try to catch a killer. Like it's really well, uh, the details are well laid out for this story. Really well done art. This is just a very cool, for your your cool dude dune, cool dudes dune friends, get this uh, art comic for them. It's another great gateway book. I'll throw out one thing, and this is a spoiler just for one line of the book, but it made me laugh out loud. And I think it's the perfect mix of highbrow, lowbrow that explains exactly what this book is about. As Art Brute and his posable dummy assistant friend are running through a bunch of different painting worlds, they realize they have to go somewhere else. And Art Brute shouts, get to the hopper, which is, it's so dumb and it's so smart (laughs) at the same time. Great stuff. Wow. Secret Invasion, number five from Marvel, written by Ryan North, art by Francesco Mobili. This is the last issue of this, unless we're getting a lot of those today. But this is wrapping up the story of Maria Hill and Nick Fury fighting against yet another skull in scrawl invasion of Earth. I loved how twisty this is. I love the big scope but small focus on characters in this book in particular mm. that I thought was a really smart way of approaching it. 
Agreed. This feels like exactly what the tone of the Secret Invasion show is going to be. I would almost argue that this is probably showing the hand of the TV show a little bit, where it's competing factions, different. There's always suspicion, always tension, and good scrolls, bad scrolls, good people, bad people. There's no line between the two. It's just they're good. Good. The good people have to emerge, and the bad people, including scrolls, will emerge as well. And I think that's what the TV show is going to be. So if you are lo- looking forward to that, pick this uh, series up and, and give it a look. The art is fantastic. And I'll also throw out there, if you were disappointed at all with the first secret invasion, there's some not-so-subtle skewering of it that happens in this issue, where the main scroll talks about how they spent years and years putting people in every area of the world to take it over, and they ended up, and she says this line almost exactly like, and we ended up having a public fight in Central Park, which, great. Good, good uh, contrast there, Ryan North. Like this book quite a bit. Definitely pick it up. Lazarus Planet, Revenge of the Gods, number one from DC Comics, written by G. Willow Wilson, Becky Cluden, Michael W. Conrad, art by Cian Torme and Aletha Martinez. We've talked a lot about this Lazarus Planet event, which started with an alpha, ended with an omega, had a bunch of one shots in the middle. There were mostly people being like, look at this green rain. Anyway, let's do whatever we were doing. And how it was very loosely an event at all mostly a preview of things that are coming up in the DC universe, but it was so good it didn't matter. This one is even less Lazarus Planet. There's not even Green Raid anywhere, and it took place after the event is already over. Well, the event is over, so like this book feels very strange. I love that they just throw out a number one on there, sure. like (laughs) It's all number one. All Lazarus Planet's number one. This feels like a Wonder Woman annual? Yeah, really, at the end of the day. So and it's cool. Like there's good stories in here. The art especially I thought was really consistently good throughout all of these. Um, But it and it's with our favorite Wonder Woman teams that uh, was recently announced that are ending. I'm excited for Tom King to take over the main book. But I've really been enjoying the Wonder Woman world, especially under Becky Cloonan and Michael W. Conrad. So I'm I'm definitely sad to see that go. So it. I was a little wistful as I read this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely have the same feeling. If you've been reading the Becky Cluden, Michael W. Conrad Wonder Woman series, this is continuing the big story that they've been building with the gods all teaming up for this big war on humans led by Hera. So it's an essential chapter of that. And definitely some big changes happen with Wonder Woman in this issue as well. Weird branding on the cover. They should have just called it Revenge of the Gods number one or something like that. But yeah, Wonder Woman Revenge of the Gods annual number one. Later. Sure. That's fine. We should we should work at DC. That's all I'm saying. We should Wanna, be publishers who uh, solicit us ourselves to make a comic yeah, book about that. That works, right? That's not illegal in any way, I think. Anyway. Monopoly? Yeah. Monopolies? Everybody loves Monopolies. It's a great game that everybody enjoys. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Monarch number two from Image Comics, written by Rodney Barnes, art by Alex Linz. This is continuing the story of a world that has been taken over by this alien invasion. Over the course of the first issue, we followed this small boy who managed to survive the initial attack. Ultimately, at the end of the first issue, he was taken captive by the aliens. There is an enormous twist in this issue that completely changes what's going on in the book. I was really impressed and intrigued by the first issue 
both through the writing and characterization and the art, but this one kind of blew me away and got me really interested to check out the next couple of issues. How about you? Yeah, I thought it was well done. They not only put a good twist, a good sort of scary uh, positioning of the sci-fi premise. It reminded me of being a kid and being like, what if I just had superpowers or what if I got abducted by aliens? Like that sort of specialness we all want to feel when we're a kid in relation to like comic books and and sci-fi and all that. And just to, I thought it was well done that they sort of put that there and then twisted a bit at the end. And I also love there's a nice little sort of storybook story about planting a flower here, too. Yay. Next up, The Vampire Slayer number 12 for Boob Studios, written by Sarah Gailey, art by Hannah Templar. This takes place in a different Buffy the Vampire Slayer universe where Willow has Slayer powers that she's stolen from Buffy. She also has enormous magic powers that she's aiming to use to destroy the entire universe, and it's up to Faith and Buffy to talk her down. So this is very much an end of these first 12 issues here. I love this series. I know I was in the tank the entire time. I thought there was perfect characterization of the characters across the board. They just nailed the tone of classic Buffy here. And there is a last panel that I think slightly betrays the idea of, oh, if you don't know Buffy, you can read this series and come in clean. But Mm. my heart just went, (gasps) like I I gasped out loud when I saw it. So perfect panel for me. You should get that checked out. I feel like that's a serious um, It hasn't started beating since. Um, yeah. I'm on borrowed time, man. The, the blood. I'm, thank you for dedicating your last moments to this podcast. It's important. I, I liked. I really liked this in that it um, set up for a massive, horrifying fight between characters that uh, everybody loves, and found a way around to having it just be that. So that was a smartly done, book. Yeah, well done. Definitely pick up this one in trade in particular. Uh, Avengers Forever, number 15 from Marvel, written by Jason Aaron, art by Aaron Cooter. It is all basically coming down to this. This is the second to last issue of this insane, massive crossover as every single iteration of the Avengers of the Multiverse is fighting against an army of Dr. Dooms, including Doom the Living Planet, as well as one Mephisto who has absorbed every other Mephisto in the multiverse, at least the ones that are mm-hmm. left. And this is just a knockdown, dragout fight with some big emotional moves stuck in the middle great crossover yeah you know jason aaron keeps pulling other rabbits different sized rabbits different shaped rabbits out of his hat with this avengers book and in this one not only is it this fight we've been spoiling for for a while big versions of that all the characters we get a nice emotional moment um from phoenix and uh, thor or odin coming back together which i thought was cool but he also runs this nice what Avengers Assemble means and why people say it through the book that is so smart and so unique. And it just makes this a great standalone issue, even if you don't know what insanity has led up to this. And it truly is that. It really like just makes this a great read. He, he Jason Aaron just knows how to keep adding another little a little piece on top, a little Jenga tile right on the very tip top. I'm really excited to read the final issue of this. There's an Omega issue that's coming, and I'm really curious to see how they're going to tie this up, as well as what the next iteration of Avengers is going to be like, because this is an enormous story that he's been telling for years. So, yeah, 
Really interesting times. Next up, Justice Society of America, number three from DC Comics, written by Jeff Johns, art by Mikel Janine and Jerry Ordway. We are flashing back in time now that Per Dagaton is officially revealed as the villain of the series, because of course he is. Mm-hmm. And we show how he came to be, why he is coming for the Justice Society, and how he's coming from this time as Huntress teams up with the Justice Society of now, I think she is linked up with our regular timeline at this point, to yeah. try to stop him and figure out exactly what he's up to. We, the reader, know. They don't necessarily know. Um, this book is really good. This continues the yeah. Jeff Johns renaissance of DC Comics for me. And this book is definitely, it sort of feels prestige Like It feels like this is maybe the one that he's like, this is the one that is my main one. Uh, especially in this with the Jerry Ordway sort of old fashioned art, uh, gold and silver AG art and the Michael Janine, very modern, like really, really cool, really slick, clean, uh, drawing it. And the, the story is big in scope, but it's also contained within the justice society. It's not one of these massive crossovers. I feel like Jeff Johns has been writing lately that is like, no, this is Watchmen, but it's also Batman. It's also flashpoint. It's everything at once. This is like, you know what? I'm going to tell a story on its own. And I think it's really smart. It reminds me of Jeff John's earlier work back in the day at DC. Yeah. If you liked his original run on JSA with James Robinson, I think you're going to like this as well because it feels very totally consistent. Doctera, number 12 from Image Comics, written by Scott Snyder, art by Tony S. Daniel. In this issue, our main character is back, but she has been blacktopped. I don't know exactly what the procedure is <laughs> called, but she has this completely new black outfit, black costume that keeps her invisible to shades. Meanwhile, they're trying to travel to Eos, I believe it is, which is yeah. the place where they're hoping to restart the sun. Of course, they end up running into some trouble along the way from a familiar face. Great uh, Another great issue. I know I'm saying the same thing, but a lot of good issues in the stack. Well, and Scott Snyder has been hyping this return as like, guys, this is the most epic version of this story yet. And, you know, I I don't doubt him. It does feel like he's got an ensemble cast built around Noctera now. Uh, We're doing less world building and more like just driving quite literally uh, through a bunch of shadow monsters in his villains. Like he's leveled them up as well for this while bringing in sort of the emotional part of that as well. So I I believe him. This feels like it's backing up his um, Twitter uh, hype. And it's hard to do that. Yeah, and Tony S. Daniel continues to be the perfect artist for this book. Nobody draws action like him. Berserker, number 12 for Boob Studios, written by Keanu Reeves and Matt Kent, art by Ron Garney. I'll mention we had Matt Kent on our live show a couple of weeks back, and he did tease this issue, talked about it mm-hmm. a little bit. This is finishing the story, at least for now, of our Berserker, who was immortal, is perhaps no longer immortal. I'm not going to spoil everything that happens at this issue, but he met a woman who also has powers and they are fighting back this issue. And uh, that's sort of where we start. But by the end of the issue, it feels like, I don't know, I want to say approximately 13 more potential arcs for the comics happen over the course of the issue, which is a wild about to plot. Yeah. And this this book, there's always a lot of hype around uh, this work specifically about what its other media forms will be, TV, film. But it always was a comic book first, and I think it still is all the way through this issue. 
But the way this issue falls out is like, that's the movie. This is the movie. It's such a good way to like bring your movie to a, an end and third act into the end. Like I thought it was really well done, took some surprising twists and turns while still living up to just like, hey, this dude can just wreck shit all all the mm-hmm. day, all day long. That's his whole thing. He continues to do that. But we get the climax sort of in the middle of the issue. And a lot of interesting things come after that. Yeah, absolutely. And to your point, it feels like the movie up until there's even an end credit sequence there. Exactly. Yeah. It's great stuff, though. Like, even with that, I think everybody expected Keanu Reeves to come in and write a movie for himself. But through Matt Kint, through clearly we've heard multiple times Keanu Reeves working with him nonstop to really craft this and make sure it worked as a comic first. Ron Gardy's art, impeccable and just big action and great characters throughout. Um, This is a great book. This really works as a comic book, but I'm also excited to see it play out through the anime, through the film, through however else they want to do it. Red Goblin, number two for Marvel, written by Alex Pachnadel, art by Jan Basil Dua. This is following Norman Osborn's grandson, who has a symbiote that makes him look like a Red Goblin. Norman Osborn has been captured by Phil Eric, I believe, who yes. is now back to life and is also a goblin. And he has a bunch of goblins, and he's luring a goblin to his goblin lair to goblin it up. Yeah, this is goblin on goblin, goblin. I'm goblin it up. Because this is um, this is a pretty fun for all of the books that have been sort of spinning, orbiting Spider-Man, a main Spider-Man book that is only really concerned with its own story about um, a Peter Parker, Mary Jane uh, problem happened. We flash forward six months and now we're getting back to that story in the main book. But all the rest of these books have nothing to do with that. And so they're really just finding their own path, often involving a symbiote or two. Um, And this one is no different. But this one is a well-told story. Uh, and it's it's horrifying in a lot of ways. It features Phil Yurick, a villain who is the son of a newspaper person. Terrifying. Oof. The most evil people in our world today, the media, right? Just <laughs> wow, yes. Well, we are journalists, so careful. Okay, okay, sorry. Yeah, like I said with the first issue, I really come in not wanting to like it because there's so many different elements that I'm like, I've had enough of the symbiotes, I've had enough of goblins, but... It's it's fun. It's fun to read. And there's some really good horror moments, like you said, in here. So after two issues, I'm definitely on board. Next up, Danger Street. I'm gobbling it up. I'm going to say that about every issue from now on. Danger Street number four from DC Comics, written by Tom King, art by Jorge Fornes. In this issue, a bunch more stuff happens with a bunch more characters. This while I was reading this, I was struck by two things. This is very much in line with Tom King's Rorschach book. Mm-hmm. It's the art, obviously, because it's the same artist, I believe. But also, I think tonally, it's jumping around to a lot of different characters. We're getting little bits of events, and it made me think that Tom King sort of has a couple different style of book he, books he likes to write, and I think he truly moves through them. He's like, okay, I'm going to do another one like that. That's like the Rorschach, the Danger Street, and then like, oh, I'm going to do another one like. Uh, the Strange Adventures, the Mr. Miracle, and uh, the Super Super uh, Girl Woman of Tomorrow feels like another version of that. So like he's cycling through different types of story he likes to tell. That's very cool. The other thing I thought is this book is like a Coen Brothers movie. Mm. It feels like it's a touching on a lot of different characters. Uh, there's a narrator who is like, I'm a weird narrator because it's mm-hmm. Dr. Fate's uh, helmet. And 
it feels very like Big Lebowski, except um, superheroes. Code Brothers is a very good call there in terms of the scope. And that's the thing that I'm having a hard time hooking into. I think Rorschach is another good comp for this because the stuff that's strongest to me, not to repeat myself from the earlier review, but I do think this does a good job of media commentary in particular through the story mm. of the Creeper. Uh, it yeah. is human guys is working as basically like a Fox News anchor for these super rich kids that are trying to run the world and pointing out like, oh, outsiders are ruining the world. We got to get rid of the outsiders. And to me, having that divide of this guy who goes out and does vigilante justice and later in this issue in particular gets like accused of being an outsider by somebody who is racist uh, and sexist, (laughs) uh, that's really sharp and that's very present. And that to me feels like, like you're saying, a lot of what he was dealing with Rorschach the place it gets lost for me is there's a lot of different things that he's juggling at the same time. And it may coalesce at the end. And I expect it will coalesce at the end. But right now we got stuff going on with the fifth world characters, with the danger street digbats. We've got this creeper thing. We've got the bad hunter stuff. We've got star bad and gladiator. I believe are the character going around and they're all starting to come together a little bit, but until they do, I'm having a hard time hook into how everything connects to the theme when that creeper stuff to me is like, that's the stuff that's popping right now. Right. Well, I do think it's every story is sort of cooking at a different uh, temperature and eventually each one's going to get hot when it needs to. I I think that I I feel like is sort of the orchestral way that Tom King is, is curating this. But I also think like the Manhunter stuff was a great action sequence. Mm -hmm. The Starman stuff is just like, Two dumb guys doing dumb stuff. It reminds me of like Shakespearean, uh, like they're the grave diggers. And there's like, duh, should we be doing this thing? I don't know. Uh, we're going to get killed. And then that's what happens in spoiler for Richard the uh, Third. But they. Uh, I haven't yeah. read it yet. Oh, sorry. They're not the, they kill Clarence. Sorry. Yeah. Well, you're going to love it. Oh, okay. That's, who I was that's great. About. I'm the, saving the two it. murderers, I'm not grave diggers. Oh, okay. Two murderers, not grave diggers. Don't let me mess that up. I'm a classically trained actor. <laughs> of course. Of course. Uh, I Listen. It's well done. Uh, It's just I'm having a hard time emotionally hooking into it at the moment. Let's talk about one that I do like, maybe not emotionally, but comedically. I Hate (laughs) Fairyland, number five from Image Comics, written by Scotty Young, art by Brett Bean. In this issue, there's kind of two things going on. We've been following Gert as she's been trying to make her way to Fairyland as an adult now that she's come back. Um, The first half of the book actually, quote unquote, syncs up with a song. So if you scan a QR code, you can play a song while you're reading it. I love Mm. this idea. Super fun. Really enjoy that idea. The song is very good. My little quab there, while I was reading it, I was like, this song is three minutes and 47 seconds long. How do I time out my reading properly with this to make this work? I think ultimately, I'll give you a spoiler for the minute of the issue. It doesn't matter because halfway through the issue, Gert's like, shut up, can you guys stop playing the song? I got to talk to this guy on the phone. And that's sort of the joke they're leading to, which... I like was a little bit of a bummer because I love the idea of a comic that is scored to a song you play. That's very fun. Uh, they don't quite execute on that. But other than these little qualms here and there, I think overall another fun issue of this title. And this issue proved that, like, I don't know if this title needs a lot of words. Like mm-hmm. the whole section where it was that is timed up with a song, I thought was great and so evocative of what. The, all the characters are thinking and feeling and just a great fight going on. So 
I, I like this when it's a little on the, on the spare, more spare side. I agree. I wish they had tried it for the entire issue. I understand why they didn't, but still enjoy this book. House of Slaughter, number 13 from Boob Studios, written by Tate Bromble, art by Antonio Fusu, where uh, something is killing the children, is dealing with big monster fights. House of Slaughter is much more about the politics of the House of Slaughter that we are building up to some action moments here and there. Justin, I know you love this book. Well, what do you think about this arc? I know in general you love this book. Uh, yeah, I've really loved the earlier books, the earlier, sorry, earlier arcs had a lot more emotionality happening. There was very much like a central relationship that was being explored. And it's definitely got, to your point, gotten a little more political here. I think this is a good home for that, while the main title is dealing with just the implications of a very small subset of characters and the general just horror side of it. This is very much sort of larger uh, bureaucracy of uh, the different houses, a little more like Harry Potter-esque, but like with much more stabbing than uh, that book. So I want to hook back into sort of a smaller scale storytelling, and I, I it feels like maybe we're going to focus in on that, but Right now, it's on sort of a pretty wide scope. Yeah. And, and I think it'll get there. It has been there in previous issues. We're following one half of that relationship from the first arc. So whenever we flash over to him, I think there is that emotional hook there. But a lot of the other stuff, it's very broad, like you're saying at the moment. But so good book. All Against All, number four from Image Comics, written once again by Alex Pactadal, art by Casper Wingard. I have really been enjoying this book. It was a little hard to hook into at first, even though I love Casper Wingard's art. There's a lot of big sci-fi concepts going on here, but this is one that has gotten stronger and stronger. I think every issue has gone. It is following a human who is maybe the last human, not entirely clear, in an alien preserve. We've discovered that these aliens are essentially squid beings who can take over other bodies and are functionally immortal because of that. In this issue, we're getting these aliens have basically split into two sides with the humans stuck in the middle, and it's great. The action is big and intense. The characters are fascinating. Now that I finally understand what's going on here, because it was definitely like, you know, not to keep bringing up TV, but the first issue of this was very much like an HBO drama where it's like, well, there were 40 episodes that happened before this pilot. Just catch up whatever you can. And yeah. it just kind of threw in there. Now that I'm finally cut up, I'm really digging this book. Well, and I like that. I feel like so few comics are willing to throw just throw us into this world and sort of let you catch up to the premise, doing it well where you don't feel lost. And I felt like I feel like there was in the previous three issues, there was always enough to keep me sort of like, oh, this is cool. The art mm -hmm. is fantastic. I like the the voices that we're hearing, even if I'm like, I don't know how their body works. He's a squid <laughs> hat sort of on a crocodile. But OK, I, I'm, I was into it enough to keep following when so many other comics it's like the premise is right there. And like I see it's a time travel thing, except everyone ends up uh, being um, alligators with a squid hat. I like that it's we got the flip of that. We're slowly being drawn in. And now we're at the second to last issue. And I'm here for the uh, big fight we're going to get. Totally. It's a more challenging way of doing a comic book. And I really appreciate putting that effort and time in. But also, if you're looking for an interesting sci-fi book to check out, definitely this one is a good one to do. 
Harrower, Harrower, I still can't say that word, number two, <laughs> Harrower, from Boom Studios, written by Justin Jordan, art by Brahm Revel. This is continuing the story of a small town that has your classic slasher dude who gets called out on Halloween and kills a bunch of teens. It's a big, bloody slasher movie, and in this issue, we get the house party under attack, another classic. There's a little less plot going on in this issue than there was the first issue, but it's still a bloody fun time. I was surprised at the amount of slashing. A lot of <laughs> slasher movies and comic books, there's like a slashing here, a slashing there. This was slashing everywhere. Yeah. Just full on big old slash mess. And to the point where I was like, wait, what, which guy was from last issue who was like worshiping Harrower and is sort of on the bad guy's side? And uh, it's hard to tell for a little bit here and there uh, where it's going. But there's going to be more slashing, I can guarantee that. Here's my big question. This is something I love this trope, this idea of like uh, the guy who comes out on Halloween and all the teens are challenged. How do these towns continue? Because every time they summon these beings from beyond the grade to enrich their crops or whatever they're doing, he wipes out like the entire teen population. So is mm -hmm. it just they're banking on like, well, the kids are going to grow up, but then the younger kids grow up and they're teens and they die. So eventually the town's going to die out anyway. It's a bad system, I guess, is my point. See, here's the thing, Alex. You grew up in the suburbs, right? Yeah. Uh, Long Island. See, I grew up in the country. So, okay. like, there's a slash. Like, I, I grew up on the edge of uh, a golf course uh, in the country. Uh, a famous in country a house feature. Or just of like on the, uh, like, hole nine or something. We would just sort of uh, gather the wheat around us and sleep underneath. <laughs> Um, and so, of course, naturally, we had our own, like, the putter who would come and, like, putt teens to mm -hmm. death every couple of years. And you just sort of take it. It's like, you know, with the weather. It's like, oh, snow's coming in. We got a big storm. Nor'easter coming through. It's like that's the small town slasher, and you just move on. And it becomes like a tale you tell people. Like, oh, watch out for the putter. Beware the putter. And then suddenly the putter strikes, and you thank your grandparents for having told you the tale. Wow. Thanks. That really explains it. TMNT, The Last Ronin, The Lost Years, number two from IDW, written by Kevin Eastman and Tom Waltz, art by S.L. Gallant and Ben Bishop. Before we get into it, I want to apologize on behalf of myself and Pete for Tom Waltz and his treatment in the <laughs> last episode. <laughs> really? Deed off on <laughs> Yeah. I, I was joking. I don't know what Pete was, but uh, whatever it is, totally fine guy who's written a lot of TMNT books. Uh, yeah. Since Pete isn't here, I think we could actually talk about this book without any screaming, potentially. This is following two timelines that eventually one takes place after the last Ronin and follows these new turtles who are training to be ninjas. And the other one is back in the day before the last Ronin, following whichever turtle that is that survived as he It's tried. Mikey. Mikey, there you go. I'm sorry. If, if they're in black and white, I have a hard time telling them apart because I can't see the color of their masks. And also right. whether in color. I have well, Alex, I think you should look a little deeper because there's a person underneath that mask. Oh, is there? There's a turtle. No, no, well, a turtle. Know, there's a, a turtle. turtle. I will yeah. say, okay, fair. It's a turtle. Yeah. Anyway, I like this book, the past timeline in particular. Yeah, the, agreed. The the sort of future slash present timeline, it, it feels like it's just being there to tease us a little bit. We get a lot of like descendant of Casey Jones also hanging out with turtles and they seem to have there's a lot more turtles than really turtles are in their prime. Uh, but the the Mikey stuff is interesting. He, very, very melancholy. 
mm-hmm. uh, Mikey. He doesn't party or eat pizza. He just sort of is sad a lot. It feels like there's two things going on here. One, there's the lost years of Mikey when he was sad, which, like we're saying, is interesting in a very different mode for TMNT, a much darker mode. And the other part feels like they kind of want to do a TMNT, the next generation comic book, but aren't full-fledged going into it. And either of these concepts will work. I don't know if they're quite gelling together, but still, I like the book regardless. And I'm not going to yell at Tom Waltz. That's nice. You keep saying it like almost like a Chekhov's gun situation where you then eventually will <laughs> oh, it's gonna happen. sort it's of tee off on him, putter style. The other thing about this is uh, I there, there's these ghosts, the ghosts of the other brothers, Mikey's other brothers. And they he keeps saying, like, I don't know if I'm concussed or these ghosts keep coming back. And he says it like a couple of times. I'm like, let's. They're ghosts, right? Let's decide. Let's decide that they're your <laughs> friends rather than just a brain injury that you maybe then aren't going to deal with. Um, but I also think we should make the same pact. Like, we should haunt each other as ghosts. Oh, okay. Not to get a brain injury. Well, I think we've already done that <laughs> in some capacity. That's called doing a podcast for 15 years. Little Monsters, number 11 from Image Comics, written by Jeff Lemire, art by Dustin Wynn. In this issue, our tiny little vampires are doing stuff in their city, and oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, I don't know. We've talked a lot about this book. We've talked a lot about Jeff Lemire's stuff. The last couple of issues really heated things up in a big way, where they gave us a ton of information about this world, and the stakes, and the backstory, and how these vampires ended up here. This was another one of those issues where the vampires with some gorgeous dusted wood art or like, Ooh, what are we going to do? We're little vampires. Yeah. They're really closing in. There's definitely going to be some sort of confrontation next issue is next issue. The last issue. Maybe probably it's a 12. Yeah. That's usually it's, how it works. That's a year. That's a year we've spent. Mm-hmm. So like I, it just feels like there's been so much buildup, so much growing. It feels like this could easily continue on beyond that. Another thing it feels like is uh, a TV show that I recently have been watching, The Last of Us. Mm. This though, sort of format and the style of storytelling where it's a little spare. You get a flashback to how we got here and at some point in the issue slash episode, and then just some post-apocalyptic feels. That reminds me not to go back to our first book, but I forgot to mention Wolverine 31. We get a fungal zombie a la Last of uh, Us coming out of Beast's brain. Just so on Last of Us, like mm, direct ref. Nailed it. Good job, Benjamin Percy. Behold Behemoth, number four from Boob Studios, written by Tate Bromble, art by Nick Robles. This is following another like lone wolf and cub style story with a dude who has the powers of heaven, I believe, and a girl who has the powers of hell. Uh, The world has basically been destroyed by this big war, and they are heading towards a safe place to stop it. I know this all sounds like warmed over tired tropes, but through some gorgeous art and character design by Nick Robles, as well as very complicated, dark storytelling from Tate Bromball, this story is really working for me. I like this a lot too. There are, we are, we do get two timelines here as well. Uh, one where they've sort of gotten their powers figured out, uh, but they're still not fighting the bad guys. Uh, they're getting there. And then an earlier timeline time where they're trying to figure out how to do any of this and learning about each other. And I like that they're really commenting on each other, the two different time periods. And I really like the way they've sort of pitted the people against each other here um, in a way that feels like, oh, this is going to be a confrontation that is going to be sad. 
It's in some way. Yeah, particularly for the scale of it, you could just lead into big kaiju battles, but instead they're really honing in on these characters and making it a small story with big implications, which works very nicely for the emotional stakes. Black Cloak, number three from Image Comics, written by Kelly Thompson, art by Meredith McLaren. This is continuing the story of a strange murder in Fairytown that is being investigated, <laughs> which is a silly way to put it, but as usual, Kelly Thompson writes a great mystery story, and this issue in particular really expands out the world and explores different quarters of it. I'm love I'm loving spending time in this book, and I'm loving looking at it too, because Meredith McLaren's art is so unique and fascinating. This is my favorite read of the week. Like I thought, this was fantastic. Like beautifully done art. I like the mystery. I like the characterizations here. It reminds me. I think we I compared it to like a great role playing games from when I was younger. It reminds me a lot of Chrono Trigger. If anyone is a huge fan of that game from back in the day, not me. Uh, no? Uh, no? Great, great one. Uh, you should give it a shot. It's out there. Uh, but the, just in the way the characters sort of look and feel and the way you sort of have a high-stakes mystery that um, has implications for our the people trying to solve it as well. Very good book. Next up, Spy Superb, number three from Dark Horse Comics by Matt Kent. This is, I believe, tying up this book as well about a dude who is one of the worst dudes in the world ending up accidentally becoming mistaken for a James Bond-style super spy. Here we get some twists and turns as they he and the woman that he's tried to track down, who is an actual super spy, reach the end of their adventure. Um very fun book. I had such a blast reading all three of these issues. Yeah, you know, the way after reading the first two, I was like, this could go on forever. This guy could, and I was like, oh, no, it's here it is. <laughs> um, and I think it's it's actually smart to make this finite as it was, because it would probably get to be a little bit like, how much more can this idiot survive? Something mm. that people say about me all the time, and I feel it about this guy. So I'm glad it came together. Great art. Just Matt can always puts together a whole package of a book and a series, and this is no different. Last but not least, Hexware, number four from Image Comics, written by Tim Seeley, art by Scott Levina. This is following the story of a girl who died but had her brain, not brain, mind, resurrected in the body of a maid robot through demonic sorcery. She spent the first couple of issues tracking down some demons. The big twist in issue three was the demons were like, hey, you know what's worse than us? Literally everything else in hell. Why don't you help us instead of trying to send us back to hell? So so totally changed the dynamic, has turned this into kind of a pseudo team book in this yeah. issue. Um, so much fun. So much fun to read. Such great character designs, great twists. There's a huge twist at the end here, which once again seemingly changes the premise of the book. Um, this has been a wild ride so far. This reminds me a lot of Tim Seeley's Hackslash stuff. Mm -hmm. If you're a fan of that, this is a great book to jump into. Particularly this issue feels like it's very much in that vein. And it's a complicated premise to wrap your head around, but it, from a reading perspective, it flows. Like you really see what's up and you can follow the characters, um, even if you have to wrap your brain around magic of robot resurrected human situation uh, going into it. Yeah, they definitely flipped who the villains are in this book, too. So like you're saying, I think potentially you could jump in on this one. And just as a little thing, I want to give a shout out to Tim for he recaps the premise 
integrated into the dialogue at one point where she's kind of muttering to herself. And she's like, well, it's not a big deal. It's not like I'm your daughter who was resurrected to the body of a robot. And I love that. Like, I actually think there's too little of that in comics these days because they're like, well, you read the previous 56 issues. Let's keep going. And this, that he reiterates it here and makes it an entry point, even if you picked up issue four and not issue one. Great stuff. If you'd like to support the podcast Smart. and all the podcasts, we do patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Facebook and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comic books. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, Comic Book Club Live on TikTok and Instagram, Comic Book Club Live.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop. And we'll see you um, for the rest of our lives because we're ghosts who haunt uh, each other. It's kind of sweet, actually. Pick us up, publishers. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.